Hi guys, welcome back to the Adaptive Zone podcast. My name is Matthew Boyd. I'm a physiotherapist and running coach. If you enjoy the episode today, don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you're so inclined, share it with a friend. Today, we are going to be talking about shin splints predominantly and maybe a little bit on stress fractures. And we've brought on Nathan Carlson. Welcome to the Adaptive Zone podcast. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. Thanks for having me on. Would you mind telling us a little bit about you and your professional work? Yeah, of course. So I'm a, I'm a physical therapist. Um, I've been in practice for 12, 13 years now. Um, and, and I've always kind of had a slant towards running. So had had a lot of experience in sports medicine. And, and now I own my own practice in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, specializing in runners and triathletes, mostly, but mostly running. Um, and, and a lot of that uh, around the management of bone stress injuries and, and, and shin splints and all the kind of common disorders that we see a lot of runners get. So um, I, I spend my time um, in the clinic with that, but then I also spend about half my time locally working with athletes on the performance side. So um, runners and triathletes with you know some big performance goal and, and, and often we're trying to incorporate some, some strength training and what they're doing. Um, so, so I spend the other half of my time working with athletes like that performance goals, or they've, they've had a history of injuries or, you know, they're just trying to, they have a goal and they're trying to do what they can to, to get to it. Um, and then I do a fair bit of teaching too. So, so continuing education and, um, some other things and it's all around running. So, you know, I got, I got bit by the running bug when I was in college after my basketball career was done, uh, after high school and, and found it fascinating and, you know, ran into all the, you know, poor decisions around training and everything else uh, back then and just found it very interesting. And, and and now that's what I spend most of my day doing is thinking about running and helping other people with whatever uh, struggles they're dealing with, with, uh, with running. Awesome. And uh, the reason I reached out to you, as you know, is because I wanted to talk about shin splints and you have yeah. an excellent series on YouTube where you go through in great detail about shin splints and stress fractures. And don't worry, everyone, I will put the link in the description so you don't have to go there now. We're going to dig into it. But do you have a special interest in shin splints, bone stress injuries, or is that more just, you know, it comes up a lot, so you make content on on it as well? Yeah, you know, it, it, it completely is by chance, I think, that that ends up being what I, I focus a lot of my professional endeavors on is is around bone stress injuries and and I think we can maybe put shin splints in that category although they do they do act a little bit differently and, and we can certainly get into talking about that but um, you know I, I remember when I I had, I had opened my practice so this was six or seven years ago and um, I always felt like I really didn't know what I was doing with with bone stress injuries or you know I would just would have called them stress fractures stress reactions back then. And so I, I started to kind of say, okay, let me go through and try to understand the literature on this. And then, you know, obviously match that with the, what I see in real life in the clinic. And, um, you know, I, I started reading papers and talking to people and I just found it fascinating. I also realized I just didn't know anything. And, you know, I, I know maybe a little bit more now, but still lots, always more to learn. Um, and I just found the topic of stress fractures, bone health, um, all that stuff really, really fascinating. And, you know, for a, and for a lot of runners, they they deal with a lot of this stuff. So if we talk about shin splints specifically, I, I think you'd be hard be hard to find a runner that if they've ran for an amount of time, they haven't experienced something like that where they would say the inside of my lower leg hurts. You know, which hmm. is kind of where where what, what we think is you know that's the common presentation with this is 
Um, you know, I have pain on the, on the medial aspect of my shin that gets worse when I run and feels better when I don't. Um, and, uh, and, um, again, early on, I, I think like with a lot of running injuries, if you pull someone from running, um, and then slowly ease them back in, a lot of people get better with that. Um, but you know, in my experiences, I've learned more, I'm like, oh, we can do, we can do a lot more with that. And I think some of that is understanding maybe what we think is going on with these, these types of injuries. Um, and then trying to make sure we're, we're covering all the things that might play a role in why someone got that to begin with. And then what we know might be helpful is they go back to whatever running looks like to them, whether there's someone that, you know, I run a few days a week for exercise, or I'm trying to, you know, get my first Boston qualifier, or I'm trying to, you know, be on the podium at the Olympics, you know, there's, there's a wide range of, of what running can look like. Um, and so I, I, I find it really, um, really fascinating to just try to figure out how do we, you know, how do we take this condition and then try to apply what we know about it to whatever, whatever running looks like for someone. Cool. Okay. So let's, let's get into it, but we'll start a little bit, um, higher up. Cause I think yeah, most listeners are going to be familiar with the term shin splints. Some of the others that we were chatting about just then, like bone stress injuries, even stress fractures, I think people may have heard terms like that, but not really understand exactly what we're talking about. So yeah, could you could you give us a bit of an overview of, you know, specifically shin splints first, what are shin splints, and then how that fits into some of the other terms that you mentioned there? Sure. So, so the technical term that you'll see if, if someone were to go and, and kind of go on PubMed or, or, or find some research articles around this is they'll see the term medial tibial stress syndrome. And sometimes that will be, you know, shortened to MTSS. So medial tibial stress syndrome, if we, if we boil that down, it, it really is just, I have pain on the medial or inside aspect of my shin um, that's worse with running and tends to feel better with rest. And so if you read the literature and there's some really great papers, so um, Winters is a, is a author that's published a lot on this. Charles Milgram, M-I-L-G-R-O-M is another author that's published a lot. Great, great people to look into. Um, when they start to kind of talk about what we think is going on, you have all these muscles that sit on the inside of your shin. So um, you think about your calf muscle, there's, a, there's other smaller muscles that sit in that area. And their main job when you hit the ground every time you run is to basically slow your lower leg down. So they're trying to decelerate, um, you know, that impact and then help you propel yourself forward. And so, you know, like any structure in the body, if it's under a lot of load, and that's obviously an important role, uh, an important task with running, at some point it can give us some pushback. And so, you know, the thought is, well, maybe the muscles in there get agitated, um, maybe the connection. So muscles turn into tendons, which attach to bones. Maybe at some point along that track, it gets irritated. Um, so, so sometimes you'll, you'll hear it referred to as a traction injury. Um, and, and then others say, well, this is really just a precursor to a bone stress injury, um, which is when, you know, if we were to take a, an image, most likely an MRI of someone's lower leg, we would see that there's something negative happening with the bone, whether that's a, a stress reaction, which is more where we see things like swelling, edema, those kind of things, but the bone hasn't changed to where, a, where we would say it's a stress fracture, which is where we can actually see a line. Um, so there's a line that's present. You know, I think a lot of people are familiar with what the idea of what a fracture is. It's a broken bone. 
Um, but we really only start to term things as stress fractures once we can see a line in the bone. Stress reactions will be more, you know, we see some swelling and some other kind of responses. There's, there's lots of different ways you can grade these things. Um, you know, I, I think for, for runners and for, um, and, and even for clinicians too, I think the big thing when we're talking about all this stuff is trying to be confident in what the diagnosis is because the management, whether we're talking with shin splints or medial tibial stress syndrome versus a tibial stress reaction or stress fracture, um, the, the management can be very different and they tend to present in a little different ways. That's one of the things that I try to highlight in those, um, in those videos is to take some of those thoughts by winters and say, this is what this looks like, this, this tends to look like, and then these are how these two different types of injuries. Okay. So we'll come to, I think in a sec, the, oh, have I still got you, Nathan? Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm still here. Uh, I think we'll come to in a sec, like differentiating, like sure. what the different injuries feel like. I just want to clarify, are these, yeah. are these two ends of a spectrum, you know, of the same problem? Or are these two different problems? Is a stress fracture a different thing to shin splints? Or is shin splints a sort of very, very mild version of this bone stress injury? And then a stress fracture is like a more severe one. I just want to yeah, clarify. Yeah, of course. Um, and I, I think that differentiation matters. Um, because if, if, if we're talking there, again, the management is a little bit different. So, you know, I'll tell you how I view these. I, if, you, if you look at the literature, you might see that these are, these are different things. Um, when we look at the bone stress injury continuum, so this was the first time I read this was in, in a paper by Stuart Warden and colleagues called Management and Prevention of Bone Stress Injuries. They list out that, you know, there might be this progression where we're talking about a stress reaction, which, which is a change in imaging, but the bone isn't, isn't showing us anything yet. Um, a stress, a stress fracture, which is where we can see a line in the bone. And then a full fracture, which is where the line has progressed through the whole bone. So, um, you know, when we look at the bone stress injury continuum, that's what we think about. I think about shin splints or medial tibial stress syndrome as maybe the very, 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 very start of that. Um, because it can be hard to differentiate is what is this specific tissue that's irritated. Um, and that's when I tend to go more towards clinical patterns because the patterns can be very different. And if, a, and if we get a picture of something and we see that there isn't a full fracture and there isn't a large amount of swelling and they can still tolerate some things, even though they're having some pain on the inside of their shin, that's what that kind of classic presentation of shin splints tends to feel like. And we see that in lots of runners. We also see that in lots of other athletes, whether we're talking about soccer players, basketball players, um, lots of different, lots of different types of athletics. Okay, so if we start with the shin splints, then so if if you're thinking someone has shin splints, what kind of presentation do they have? What problems are they having? Sure. So they'll often report pain that's along the the posteromedial tibia. So if you think about if you think about your shin or your tibia, the lower the the the, the big bone in your lower leg, um, along the inside portion of that, they'll report some kind of pain. Um, Often the, the pain will be a little bit more, um, it will ebb and flow a little bit more. It might warm up. They might say, I feel this when I start running, it kind of goes away. Or they'll say, sometimes I feel it and sometimes I don't, but there's a little bit more variability in that. And so when runners start to, start to talk about pain along the inside of their shin, but there's variability to it, I really try to emphasize, even if we haven't had imaging yet, that we, we think we're probably going to be dealing with 
shin splints or medial tibial stress syndrome, which is important because we can often keep you running and doing a lot. Um, when we start to get into the category of this is a stress fracture, this is, you know, this is a bone stress injury, we often have to take you out of stuff. So they'll often report about some variability in those symptoms. Um, there are some lower, other lower leg complaints um, that people can have. Um, so they're not going to report numbness and tingling. They're probably not going to report weakness. Um, they're probably not going to report pain with activities where they're not up and weight bearing. So, you know, the lower back can refer to your, to your lower leg. Um, and, and so in those instances, someone might have pain with sitting, you know, work, all those kind of things. But with shin splints, it's almost always going to be relative to load. Walking, running, jumping, lifting weights, those kind of things. Um, so it's going to be load induced. And then it, again, it might have some variability in how it presents and there's not going to be other symptoms present. Um, in that Winters article, they, they also talk about the, the, how broad the symptoms are. So they specifically talk about how much, uh, how broad someone is tender to palpation. So when you're pressing on the area that hurts, if it has a broader area of pain, that in, the, in that article, they talk about five centimeters. Um, if it's broader, then it's probably more in the shin splints category. If it's very focal in nature, um, it's probably more, um, more in the, the, the bone stress injury, stress reaction, stress fracture category. And so those are the big things that I'm looking at, whether I'm, you know, whether I'm talking to someone on the phone or whether someone comes in for an evaluation, is if they're talking about pain that's variable in nature, it might warm up, it might come and go, it's broader, um, and it's not really affecting things outside of running. That is often more in the lines of shin splints, again, even if we haven't had imaging to confirm that. Now, if we contrast that to a stress fracture or a stress reaction, if the bone is starting to become involved, people will often report pain that's very focal in nature it's almost often worsening. So you're not going to say I went for a, my long run and I felt it, you know, a little bit at the start and then it warmed up with, with, uh, with a stress reaction or stress fracture, you're going to say, you know, I can run two miles and then I got to pull the plug. Um, or if we look across a time span, they're going to say four weeks ago, I could do five miles. The next week I could do three, then I could do five minutes and now I can barely run at all. So there's almost always a, a, a decrease in their tolerance to loading if we're dealing with um, more of the bone stress injuries. Um, and so those are the things, those are the really big differential diagnoses that I'm looking at. And I, again, I think that's really important because if you're dealing with shin splints, there's almost always something we can do to either keep you running or keep you cross-training doing other things. If we starting to get into the category of a bone stress injury, um, we normally have to take running off the table. And, and, and maybe if you're pain-free, you can keep walking around and doing your day-to-day -day tasks. Um, but we have to have this period of, of rest in order to allow the bone to, to heal. And so we don't want, if we can choose one, we definitely want to choose shin splints because um, the recovery tends to be a little quicker um, versus a, a full-blown uh, stress reaction or stress fracture. Okay, so if I could try and sum up, if you have pain in your shin and it's more on the kind of inside of the shin, as in the medial side or the bit that's closer to the other leg, for mm -hmm. hard to describe. Yeah, verbally. yeah, yeah, sure. And then it's up and down. So sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. And it's quite broad or uh, diffuse might be another word for it. Like it's covering yeah. a larger area. 
they'll, those things suggest it's more likely to be shin splints. Mm-hmm. And if you have pain that is more focal, so it's a smaller area, and it is, um, I, I forget the other specifics you said. Was it that it that it is more severe, so it's more likely to limit your running, or, yeah, it or how else? Up. What would be the the key things about a stress fracture? Yeah, it's not going to warm up. Uh, if we look across a period right. of time, it's going to be worsening. So, uh, you know, a question I ask every patient is, and this is on my intake forms. I also talk to them when when we're when we're doing a session is. You know, are things getting better? Are they getting worse? Are they staying the same? So if it's a stress fracture, they'll almost always say it's getting worse. You know, over the last six weeks, four weeks, two weeks, whatever, my tolerance to all the stuff I was doing is getting worse. And so that's that's more typical of that. Um, I also think right. with, with stress fractures, small changes probably aren't going to make a big difference. So if you're if you're dealing with medial tibial stress syndrome or, or shin splints, if you increase your step rate, so say you increase, you, you change the way you're running a bit. Um, you run a little slower, run a little faster, you try different shoes. Um, you're probably not going to get an impactful change with those kind of things with the stress fracture. You might with medial tibial stress syndrome. So again, if it's more modifiable, um, I think that is also, that's also really common with shin splints versus a stress fracture, which again is, it's getting worse. I can't really do much to change it. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, also if you just ask someone like, what's your gut tell you? Sometimes runners will, will, will get to that point. Like, I, I don't think this is shin splints. I, I've had that before. Or when I talk to my running buddies, what they experience with that, that's not what I'm experiencing. So I, I do think that also there's this element of what's, what does the runner think it is? And, and often they're right because they're the one that's experiencing it. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because I haven't had trouble with shin splints or, or stress fracture in that area, but I did have a a midfoot pain so without getting too diagnostic sure. my opinion it was a stress reaction probably not a stress fracture but i remember when it first came on because i get midfoot pain like all the time and it sure. comes and goes and i remember the day i can even remember the run when it came on and i remember thinking that feels different yeah. and you know it was two months before i was able to run much at all it was very like limpy and inhibiting and it just had a different quality to it to yeah. the foot pains that experience. So I wonder if that's what you're describing, a similar intuitive sense that people get when it's a shin, when it's a bit more severe. Yeah. And I think that stuff happens far more often than we think. Um, you know, I, I, as healthcare providers, I think that um, obviously we're trained, we're trained in some specifics. And if, and if you work with runners, you have a lot of, you have a lot of knowledge and, and skills in managing these, these things. I also think that a lot of runners, because running is so repetitive, um, that can be seen as a good or a bad thing. The, the bad thing is that, you know, it is, it's repetitive. It's the same movement pattern all the time. And so there, there can be problems with that. Um, but I also think if you've ran for a long time, you have so many repetitions of what is normal or expected to you. Um, mm. that, that is actually, that's, that's really, really powerful when something different presents itself. Um, and so mm. I think a lot of times people will experiencing that they'll say, Hey, this feels this feels different. This isn't something I feel like I can push through. My gut is telling me um, that I should I should maybe respect this a little bit more. I think runners experiencing experience that all the time um, and and kind of modify what they're doing uh, and and then they're okay in the long run. Now, there's lots of examples of the opposite where maybe someone doesn't listen to what they're what the present what is presenting to them and they end up in a worse situation in the long run. But I think a lot of times that stuff happens. I think we probably see that a lot with 
anybody that's really pushing their body too, you know, where, you know, that you're, you're experiencing something, but you're able to find the amount of training or exercise that isn't really aggravating your symptoms and you can kind of skate through, um, whatever it is that you're dealing with and then progress back into what you were doing before. I don't think, you know, is that the best way to manage these? Probably not. But I do think that a lot of runners end up figuring that out on their own, um, which is a really good skill to have because running is running is not always comfortable. And if you do any activity for a long period of time, you're probably going to run into an injury at some point. And so being able to navigate that, whether that's figuring out what you're sensing um, and figuring out if that's okay to push through or not, I think that's probably one of the most important skill sets for any distance runner or anybody that's active um, because you want to, I think for most people, you want to stay in the game. Like if you can stay consistent, even if, even when stuff pops up and being able to navigate all that, I think that's probably the best skill that you can develop as a, as a distance runner um, or someone that's wanting to, 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 to run for a long period of time, you know, across a period of years or their life, whatever, whatever that might look like. Yeah. And you, you alluded to a few times, if we're trying to differentiate stress fractures from shin splints, it's because you would approach them very differently and they have different implications. Whereas mm -hmm. a shin splints might be something you can train through and modify for um, stress reactions and stress fractures are going to be more, uh, have a larger impact on your, your running calendar, let's say. So yeah. could you outline, like, I know it's difficult, but like yeah. roughly what's the difference here in terms of recovery and timeline and treatment sure. approach? Sure. So, you know, with medial tibial stress syndrome, it, you know, you can experience that for a long time. So again, if you go back to the Winters article I've mentioned, um, you know, you can have symptoms for 80, 90 days, sometimes longer, you know, and it can be something that's chronic, um, you know, where you're experiencing it. Maybe it, maybe it flares up during high periods of training or you experience on and off symptoms for a series of years. Um, but if you're able to figure out the management of it, you know, so, so I can still train, I can still, I can still do what I want to do. I just have to make some modifications. I think when we're looking at recovery from that, um, there's a there's a big difference between zero out of 10 symptoms and uh, and recovery, um, because I think that a successful management of something like shin splints would be, you know, I can train at the level that I want to train. I can do the things that I want to do from from a running perspective with one or two out of 10 pain. And that normally happens on a long run or if my mileage gets above a certain, you know, a certain amount. Um, I would say that's a that's a successful return to to 100 percent, even though there's still some symptoms there. And so medial tibial yeah. stress, it can stay around for a while. Um, now, with a with if we have a, a diagnosable tibial stress reaction or fracture, that's when, you know, the timelines do probably become a little bit more important. And so um, the, the, the best way to diagnose a stress fracture is through imaging. Um, with, most of the time, uh, you'll get an x-ray first or a radiograph first. Um, and sometimes you'll see, you'll be able to diagnose that injury from that, but it's not often, it's not a hundred percent. Um, and so often we need an MRI to get a full diagnosis. I know in talking with other clinicians from Canada, that can be really challenging. Um, but if you're able mm -hmm. to get an MRI that diagnoses it, that can be really helpful because we can be confident of the location of where the injury actually is. Um, the most common site being the posteromedial tibia. So if you're if you're kind of you know grabbing onto the inside of your ankle, you feel that big bump. 
Um, that's your medial malleolus. If you go up towards your knee a little bit, that's a right around where someone will experience those symptoms where that, or where that, that injury will be located. Um, but being able to do that's really helpful because then we can also grade it. So um, we grade bone stress injuries on a scale. There's three different scales that are used, but they all grade them one, two, three, or four. And that increases in severity. So as we get closer to four, that's when we start to have stress fractures, one, two, and three. That's going to be more in the stress reaction phase. And what that is, is there's, there's a small amount of swelling, a moderate amount of swelling, a large amount of swelling. And then a fracture line is is present. And I know that's getting into the weeds a little bit, but the grade of your injury pretty well correlates to how long you're going to need to stay off of running. So the actual number that you get assigned is important because it's probably going to give you a timeline for, for how long you're going to be out before you can start running again. Lower graded tibial stress reactions, um, you're, you're, you could be running in, in, a, in a few weeks. Uh, if we're looking at the higher grades, it might be, you know, 12 to 16 weeks. Um, off of running, and then you're going to, you know, go through a series of phases as far as returning to 100%. So, um, you know, I think with, if we're dealing with a tibial stress reaction or fracture, um, especially one that has a higher grade, you know, you're looking at six, nine months, maybe a year until you are really at 100%. That's not how long you need to wait to run, but it, it's going to take some time. Um, and, and so, when I'm talking with with patients about this, you know, the uh, I'll I really think it's important to lay out expectations. So, you know, we I tend to break this down into three phases. So Claire Ardain is one of the big researchers on return to sport. And she had a paper with a bunch of other authors where they looked at different phases of return to sport. And, and so I've kind of modified that for running and where the, the first phase of it is returning to run. So you, you get diagnosed, you have the injury, you know what you're dealing with. You have to wait 10 weeks till you start your run progression. The first little phase of running is just returning to run. And, and if you look at the, the literature on bone stress injuries, they're going to call that controlled bone loading sessions. So all we're doing is slowly increasing how much you're running. Um, and making sure we don't get pain, which is our biggest indicator with, with, um, with bone stress injuries as far as, you know, do we need to do more? Do we need to do less? Um, so returning to a return to run progression is one thing. The next phase would be return to training. So now you're running and, and, you know, you have a tempo run on your calendar. You're progressing into some strides. You're progressing a long run. That's kind of the next phase. And then the final phase is return to competition. So now it is, I've signed up for a race and I'm not just trying to complete it, but I'm really trying to push myself for, you know, for some kind of performance metric for that race. And I, and those three phases are different. So you can return to running in a few months after a stress fracture, return to training in a few months more. But when I'm thinking about returning to, you know, I'm trying to PR, I'm trying to, to, to really push myself. I think we're more realistically going to be in that nine to 12 month range um, even if we're dealing with maybe one of the lower, lower graded stress reactions, um, just based off of how bone heals, um, you know, during that time period, you know, shin splints are, are, are I think are much easier for, for patients to conceptualize because you can keep running. And so it's, it's this thing where you're like, I can, you know, I, I know what I'm dealing with. I feel like I have good, a good strategy for it and I can continue to do what I want and I have a plan. With stress fractures and stress reactions, you know, that that moment where you're pulled out of sport for a while, I think that, 
you also have to be, you want to make sure you're progressing your, your confidence along the way. And so people can often be a little bit leery of progressing back into things. And so um, that's another thing where like, if people start to ask things like, when am I going to feel like myself again? That's when I, I start to say probably nine to 12 months. Um, mm. and, and I don't have again, hard data for that. That's just in talking with, with lots of runners where, you know, they'll tell you, Hey, I, you know, I feel like I was like crossing my fingers or I was tiptoeing along, even when we were running, even when I got back with my running group, when I signed back up with my running coach, but you know, once I got that first race under my belt and I got to do some track sessions again with my friends, now I really feel like I'm myself again. And, and I think that that is going to be a little bit more delayed. And I think, you know, if, if you're working with a rehab provider, if you're working with a coach, I think those are really important conversations to have. There's all the there's all like the, the facts and the figures and the information that we know about these diagnoses. But then there's the, the unique individual and making sure that we're we're having these continual conversations about how things are going and how they're doing and um, i think that's just as important as the information we know about how bones heal yeah that's that's really helpful i think it when you were describing the difference there the the where my mind went was almost like you know shin splints is kind of like a lot of running injuries where we continue training in a modified way and we do rehabilitation and then we have this separate sort of stress reaction to stress fracture category where to me it, the management reminds me a lot more of what you might get if you had a surgery or if you broke a bone yeah. where you have a period of you know immobilization and rest followed by an extremely gradual like walking jogging running you know and this whole thing being stretched out anything from a few months to up to a year in a, in a much more serious management um, way. Does that, is there a kind of yeah. binary like that? That's the kind of the way it sounds. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. And, and I would echo your, your, your thoughts that, you know, shin splints and, and runner's knee, patella tendinopathy, uh, symptomatic FAI, uh, proximal hamstring tendinopathy, all the, all the stuff that runners tend to, to deal with, you know, my number one priority when working with a patient in those situations is to keep them running as much as possible. And, and often there is a level of running that you can do because, you know, you, you, you don't want to deal with the detraining that happens um, both physiologically and mentally. Cause again, running, you know, running means a lot of things to a lot of people. So with those type of injuries, I think that just the fact that you normally can find a level of training, that's okay. I think that's, that's so different from, from bone stress injuries. And I think that time off just, it's just very difficult to, um, it's just very difficult for a lot of people. And, and I would, I would, I often compare bone stress injury rehab to ACL reconstructions. So, you know, when mm -hmm. I first started out, I, I, I saw, you know, 50% runners and, and everything else was sports med. So it was a lot of post-op. So I saw a lot of ACL reconstructions, hip labor repairs, you know, kind of the gamut that you see in a sports clinic. And, you know, the rehabs of those are very long and, and, and the rehab or the recovery extends past whenever PT or rehab is done. Um, and so I, that's what I often compare it to is you'll be back to running um, quick, quickly. You know, it's not going to take, it's not going to take a long time to get you back to running, but that recovery is going to be a lot longer, um, both physiologically and mentally. Um, and so I think as, again, as rehab providers or if coaches are working with, with athletes that are coming off of these injuries, that gradual, that gradual reintroduction is really important. 
um, and making sure that they're feeling okay along the along the the lines. And so I have a I have a whiteboard in the gym that I that I see patients out of, and I'll write all this out. And anytime we increase something, so we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna add in another day of running, or we're gonna progress a longer effort, or we're gonna you know do some kind of change. I always come back to like, does this seem sensible? Does this feel like this is gonna work for the next week or two, however long it's gonna be between when we see each other? Um, and, and I think that that open dialogue is really important because it is such a slow, it's such a slow recovery. Um, there's a, there's a, another paper that I tend to talk about a lot by Kristen Pope and colleagues where they looked at bone mineral density and what happens to it after, after a tibial, a tibial bone stress injury. And so what they looked at was tibial, a tibial stress fracture, um, and what happened to your bone mineral density. So how dense your bones are plays a big role in fracture risk. We've actually seen that in with athletes with shin splints, their tibias are a little bit less dense. And, and we know that less dense bones are more likely to develop, to develop fractures. And, and so this is something that changes across your life. But with in that study by Pope and colleagues, they found that, um, you know, they had 30 subjects. And what they did was they monitored them across a year following diagnosis of a tibial stress fracture. And they all saw this really steep decrease in bone mineral density during the first 12 weeks. And then it slowly kind of ticked its way back up over the next year. Um, and the thought is you're doing less. And when you're doing less, your bones mm. are going to modify themselves. And so, and you don't notice that, right? So if you're, you're, you're not going to know that off the top of your head. And so it's this gradual recovery. And in that study, you know, a third of the subjects didn't return to uh, to baseline at a year following diagnosis. And so um, I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, we need longer timelines and we need to be comprehensive because there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. So, you know, with any kind of running related injury, I think that fueling is really important. We're assessing those kind of things because um, we know that nutrition can play a role in all running related injuries. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, I think that it, it's a long recovery. Um, but you can get back to running relatively quickly. And then you just want to make sure you have a plan. You have a resource that can help you along the way. Um, and, and it's probably that way with all running related injuries. It's not to say you need to, you know, go see, go see a rehab pro all the time, but you want to make sure that, you know, you have someone that can help you say like, this is how I would approach maybe the next few weeks or a few months, or this is how I would think about racing and, and all those kind of things to make sure that you're making some sensible decisions and that you feel like you have a plan. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, we really dug into, and I think it just logically flows this way into the, the return to running or using running as the rehab or guiding the running. Mm -hmm. We didn't touch that much on other treatments. Is it that, you know, the amount of running and the running training is your primary, um, variable that you're controlling or are there other things that people who have, you know, shinsman stress fractures should be considering like you know maybe um bone stem um stretching yeah this kind of stuff is there, are there other things that people should be considering to help with the process sure so and i always kind of you know rank these right because there we, we could throw lots of stuff at this um i think there's some things that are probably going to be a, a better investment and some things that might not be as helpful but still could provide some benefit so the first thing that i want I want to look at is to make sure that, you know, the, the, the run progression is sensible when we're ready for that. So that's the first thing. Um, it, the, the second thing is along the way, we need to do some things. We likely need to do some things to strengthen those structures, 
Um, so they're ready for the demands of what they have to be able to do when they run. And so um, I think that a lot of focusing on calf hypertrophy is really important. One of the things that we know from the bone literature is that if you have a stronger, denser muscle, you're probably going to have a stronger, denser bone. So if you, if anybody's eaten mm. a steak before with a bone in it, um, you'll see that muscle kind of wraps around bones. And if you can increase the size of that muscle, you can probably increase the size of that bone. And if you have a bigger bone, it's probably stronger. It's probably better able to deal with things. And, and whether we're talking about shin splints or, um, or a bone stress injury, um, I want to make sure that we have good strength, good endurance in the areas around where the injury happened. So if you're dealing with a fracture in your femur, I want to make sure you're, you know, all the muscles in and around your hip, your quads, your lumbar spine, like we're making sure that we're getting that really strong in, in rehab. It's the same thing with, with stuff in the lower leg. Um, a lot of the focus tends to be on the calf because it attaches directly to the, the, the spot where a lot of these injuries happen. Again, whether we're talking about shin splints or whether we're talking about bone stress injuries. So good calf loading, um, making sure that we're doing things like calf raises and then calf raises with extra weight. And eventually I want to do calf raises with a barbell with extra weight. Um, you know, making sure that we're progressing all that along the way, I think is really, really important. And then as we start to progress into a run progression, I, I, you know, every run progression of mine starts with, with running every other day. That's pretty common if you find one on the internet. Um, and so we run one day and we lift one day. And normally that's going to be, um, an exercise that's going to load that area. So, so something that loads your calf, um, a bigger movement, squats, deadlifts, things like that. And then something that's going to put you on one leg in a, in the manner that you have to, you know, that you have to go through when you're running. And so farmers carry step ups, all those kind of things. I want to make sure that we're progressing all those in rehab as well. And then we have a really condensed plan of that. That looks more like just like a good modified lifting program mm. as runners start to introduce, um, you know, getting back to running and training and, and all those kind of things that I already alluded it to before. I, I think that, Consulting with a dietitian is is uh, is really really important with this kind of stuff because even small changes in nutrition can play a big factor in these injuries. And so if I'm trying to rank, you know, what am I prioritizing for athletes that are that are rehabbing this or they're concerned, like I don't want to have to deal with this again. It's sensible training. It's making sure that your nutrition is in order, and then a good progressive loading program that eventually looks like a good lifting program, not something where you just have. These are my PT exercises and I do these indefinitely. You know, you need to be progressively overloading that area and, and kind of your whole lower leg to make sure we're getting what we want out of it. Those are the first three for me. Then beyond that, there's lots of other stuff that might be helpful. So there's some thought that pulsed ultrasound can be could be helpful. Um, there, there's a paper by Stuart Warden and Brent Edwards and, and Rich Willie that looked at that looked at that kind of the return to sport after a low risk stress bone stress injury. So um, that that's what we consider the the tibial stress fractures that we talk about. So pulsed ultrasound that could be helpful. There's there's been a big increase in um, doing shockwave therapy. I don't know if it's been that way up in up in Canada, but it's been that way in the states a bit. Um, I, so I think that sounds painful on your right <laughs> that well, yeah I mean and that well and that's been my experience too so um you know but I kind of lump it in into ultrasound I'm like maybe this is helpful I don't know um I feel like those top three are way more important uh yeah yeah it's 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 you know, not necessarily that the fourth thing on the list is like proportionally yeah the same it may be that the you know these may be helpful but my 
my thinking on them is just like you. It's like, okay, let's let's worry about these top three first. Yeah. And and then maybe maybe some others, as long as we've got everything in the top three sorted yeah. out. You know, and I, I think about that with a lot of those adjunct therapies. So if we've covered training, lifting, and nutrition, I'm good. If you want to do more than that, you want to do you you asked about foam rolling before. Foam rolling, massage, uh, dry needling, ultrasound, shockwave. Um, all those things, maybe they're helpful. I don't really know. And so, you know, if you have access to them or you want to do them, it's fine. Just don't negate the top three, you know? So that, that, and I I think that's probably how, that's how I approach most injuries is these are the things we think are going to be the most helpful. If you want to add an adjunct therapies to those perfectly fine, as long as that's not, you, you know, you have the resources to do that and you have the time to do that. Um, and I think about that with, you know, with home exercise programs. Um, you know, I, I, if, if my opinion is that, you know, Matthew, these are the 10 best exercises that you need to do for your problem. And you need to do these five days a week for two hours. That might be the best plan in the world, but that probably is not realistic for what life is like. And so, you know, we're always trying to make sure that we're, we're, we're titrating stuff down to the smallest dose that we need that's effective. Um, and I think about this with that, this with everything. So even in rehab, when we're going back to running after either one of those injuries, running is at the forefront. I want running to be the, that's the most important thing. If you can be consistent in your run progression, that's the most important thing to me. Then if we get into lifting and you're like, Nathan, like I have, you know, I've got 10 minutes that I can add to the time I'm already allotting to running right now. Then in, from my perspective is, well, let's pick the, the things that are going to be the most effective for 10 minutes even if that's not ideal, um, because that's what life is like. You know, you've got kids, you've got work, you've got, you know, a sick, uh, a sick parent, like, you know, whatever it is that you've got going on, we all have different circumstances. And so we're always trying to apply this to whatever someone's unique situation is like. Cool. Now I have like a lot more, you know, (laughs) it's one of those subjects where I was thinking with this, you know, it leads into nutrition and then recovery and uh, and then hormones and all of it LEA and all this stuff and I was like this is going to be hard to keep contained but <laughs> yeah, sure. what I would say because we are out of time yeah. is for the listener I will put a link in the description to Nathan's series on this in YouTube it's excellent um so check that out if you've got this far in the episode you probably either have this problem or know someone who does so definitely check that out because you will need to know more than just what we've covered today also I'd suggest checking out I did an interview with Mark Hudson a while back. On, oh, yeah. I titled the episode Irregular Periods in yeah. Female Runners. But um, we talked a lot about bone health and how to how to stimulate it. So I think that would be a really useful one for the listener to check oh, out. Of course. And then for, uh, you know, connecting with you, Nathan, and learning more from you, where would you suggest that people find you to, to learn more? Sure. So, you know, the easiest place is probably my website. It's runningmatekc.com. Um, Running Mate KC is also my handle on Instagram. Um, that's the easiest. You can find contact information. You can find videos, blogs, all that kind of stuff that um, that I that I put out. Um, you can also check out the Runner Zone podcast. That's a that's a podcast that I run with mm. uh, my buddy Chris Johnson, another PT and coach. Um, Excellent. And uh, and yeah, you know, I, I think there's always more that you can examine on this kind of stuff, which is one of the things that I found equally, you know, frustrating at times but fascinating. Um, and so, yeah, you know, Mark Hudson's put out tons of great research, plyometrics, bone health, all that kind of stuff. So, um, 
yeah, the, the easiest way is probably my website and, and, you know, you can find everything else probably you need from there. Cool. I'll put links to all of those in the description. So it's nice and easy for the listeners to get to that. And uh, thank you for your time today, Nathan. It was, uh, it was wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Hope everybody has a good day.